contains grim descriptions of graphic content intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. severe (laughs) (laughs) my name is gage and i'm ray and you are listening to gore report oh goodness i ran out of breath i'm so sorry a true crime podcast (laughs) (laughs) so professional (laughs) we hey we try sometimes you just (laughs) you do be running out of air you know (laughs) but hey everybody we hope you're having a good day and a good week and And a good We always hope you are doing absolutely fan freaking tastic. <laughs> Fantastic, I tell you. And if this is your first time listening to us, hi, hello, and welcome. Welcome. If you like what you hear, maybe think about giving us a good rating or a good review. It really helps to support the show. And we would appreciate it very much. <laughs> <laughs> we always make it. Why was uh, it so awkward? Because it's, it's it's me and you, and this is our vibe, and it's just you know it's awkward. It's we're really just awkward. funny because every time we we come to do our intros, it's like we're gonna whip out a presentation on you guys or something. It's just like <laughs> we get we literally have a 20... hello class. <laughs> we have fifteen to twenty minute pep talks before we record every week. And it's like that pep talk is us telling each other, hey, we're not gonna be awkward, like get in the zone. We're gonna <laughs> do it. And then the minute we hit record, it's awkward it's immediately awkward. It's, like it's it all just, just never awkward. happens. So um but I do want to keep the intro kind of short and sweet today. I would like to go ahead and just get on into the case. But before we do we have a patron to thank. Yes, we got a brand new Gorgoat this week. So thank you to... Nudes! Yay! Yay. We appreciate that very much. Welcome to the Gorgoats. He's been listening to the show for a very long time. So he's awesome. We appreciate you. You are special and you are loved and you are... Gorgody. Gorgody. The next thing that I wanted to bring up before we get into everything, this will be my last of my announcements, but I actually have somewhat of a short report for you guys. Oh yeah. Um, unfortunately it's it's not it's not happy short report, like it's not. But um I felt the need to bring this up. Um if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, or really I say a couple of weeks, it was actually probably a couple of months honestly i'm not sure but i covered the case of jamie rose boland out of purcell oklahoma yes i know we all remember that that was absolutely horrible well kevin underwood his execution date was december 7th of this year just a couple of days ago okay and one of my facebook friends slash listener of ours her name's jewel hey jewel thank you for like messaging me with this information i appreciate it but yeah, she messaged me an article talking about Kevin Underwood's execution was postponed. Oh, okay. All right. Why? And what that's happened? V- I mean, honestly, I haven't had a chance to like super, super like deep dive into it to really mm-hmm. find out why. So I don't want to say anything for sure. But I just know that uh, he's still alive as of 
Tuesday, December 12th, which is today. You guys won't hear this till Thursday, but yeah. I just wanted to wow. tell yeah, tell you guys that because I thought it was very upsetting. Just a little bit. Just a little bit upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my short report. Again, thank you, Jewel, for messaging me with that information. And thank you for all of your kind words about the show. We appreciate you. And now, unfortunately, we can get into my episode this week. Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know anything about it. and I hate this one, like with my whole heart. I hate to inform you all that it's pretty bad. Um, This is a case that I've known about for a very long time, and it absolutely chills me to my bone. Like, chills me to my bone. It's incredibly heartbreaking and enraging for a number of reasons. And I always knew that this would be one at some point that I would cover, but I'm just now getting around to it. So now is the time. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about Eric... Smith. Do you know this case? I I know what Eric Smith looks like, mm-hmm. but I don't know anything about like the particulars of the case. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, for those of you that maybe don't know who Eric Smith is, let me tell you. At 13 years old, Eric brutally murdered a four-year-old boy named Derek Roby. It's pretty bad. Um, it's insane. It's horrific. And it's like, I don't really have a lot of words to put here to describe it. It's it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. Mm. So to explain further, for those of you that may not be familiar with this story, it took place in 1993 in the community of Savona, New York. So Savona is a small village that sits in Steuben County. And according to the 2010 census, the population of Savona was less than 900 people. And as of this year, the population is less than 700 people. So, yeah, it's a very small community. And when this murder happened, Savona was completely rocked, to say the very least. This community had never encountered such an act of brute savagery. And when it was discovered that a 13-year-old boy had been the one to kill Derek, the story pretty much skyrocketed into the media. No one could wrap their minds around how a child was responsible for such a brutal and heinous crime. Yeah. This is definitely a well-known high-profile homicide case. There are several perspectives and many, many layers to this one. So my goal today, as with all of my cases, is to tell the events of the case as accurately as possible. But I also wish to give the utmost respect and care to the people who were affected by this crime. And also, above all else, I would like for us to both honor and remember Derek, because it is very sad. And he definitely deserves to be remembered and his story to be told. So, Derek Roby was an absolutely incredible kid. He brought an endless amount of joy and happiness to his parents, his family, and his community. And I personally want to say that my condolences go completely to Derek's parents, Doreen and Dale Roby. Derek was the light of their life. And it is very clear that these people are still very much grieving the loss of Derek today. They have endured 30 years of agony that I cannot put into words. And through my research of this case, Doreen and Dale both have stated that this is a pain that they wouldn't wish on anyone. They have also said that this pain is everlasting and will go with them to their graves. Wow. I have this quote from Doreen Roby. She says, quote, one of the hardest things is when someone asks me how many children I have. Most of the time, I say that I have one boy at home and one in heaven waiting on me, end quote. My heart truly goes out to each and every person that knew and loved Derek within the very short time that he had here on this earth with us. And I hope above all else that all of you can find some form of peace and healing. So 
now that I'm about to fucking cry, (laughs) (laughs) we can just dive into everything. Let's go. What drives a child to kill another child? That's the heart-wrenching question being asked in a tiny New York village where a jury today began considering the case of a 14-year-old boy on trial for murder. His victim, a four-year-old boy. Hot 18 News has confirmed that Eric Smith is scheduled to have an interview with the Board of Parole next week. Now, Smith made national headlines back in 1993 when he, at the age of 13, killed a four-year-old Derek Roby in Steuben County. 1993, 13-year-old Eric Smith killed four-year-old Derek Roby in a fit of rage. Smith was 13 years old when he killed four-year-old Derek Roby back in 1993 in Savona. He's serving a sentence of nine to life in prison. We never forget our boy. He was, you know, a wonderful child and we miss him terribly. Derek Joseph Roby was born to his parents, Doreen and Dill Roby, on October 2nd, 1988 in Steuben County, New York. And at the time that he was born, he was the only child of Doreen and Dale. When Derek was around two years old, his baby brother Dalton was born. So Derek spent the entirety of his life with his parents and brother in Savona. And he was described as an incredibly kind, incredibly loving soul. He was very outgoing and social, and he was just full of love and gentleness. Many residents of Savona still remember Derek to this day. Many people can still recall just how wonderful of a child he was. I read that Derek would oftentimes just stand on the corners of the street, waving and smiling at every single person who passed by him, whether they were walking or in a car. This is just what he did, and everyone knew him, so much so that the locals of Savona even named Derek the unofficial mayor of Savona. That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. It is precious. Like Everyone knew Derek. Everyone loved Derek. And during his four years of life, he made an incredible impact on everyone around him. Derek was loved and cherished by not only his family, but also by the people that made up the small village of Savona. I can't stress that enough that he was just loved by everyone. Doreen even referred to Derek as her, quote, cute little firecracker, end quote. (laughs) And his parents also said that Derek was also an amazing big brother to Dalton. Derek loved his brother so much. And when Derek was home, more times than not, you would find him playing with Dalton or even, you know, hugging him or holding him or just loving on him. Derek was just like he loved being a big brother to Dalton. And Derek was also known for his sense of humor. And according to his parents, he was just one of the funniest kids you could ever meet. He loved playing practical jokes on other people. (laughs) Um, And his mother, Doreen, recounted in one of the sources that I found for this case that Derek loved using a rubber snake to prank people. Like he would get a rubber snake and yeah, he would go outside, lay it on the sidewalk, and then he would just, you know, crack up entirely when someone was scared by it. And that honestly made me laugh. I won't lie. Like the kid had a sense of humor (laughs) and he just loved, you know, scaring the shit out of people with a rubber snake. I just I just think it's cute. Derek was also described as, quote, all boy. He had a love for sports. More specifically, his favorite sport was t-ball. Dale actually coached the local t-ball team, so Derek was always playing with his teammates and his dad. Aww. Yeah, it's super precious. He absolutely loved t-ball. That was, that was just his thing. And I read that Derek was a very gifted athlete, even at just four years old. 
And Derek would always dedicate his home runs and his games to his mother. Oh, my heart. Another thing that Derek loved to do was to go out fishing with his father. And if you guys want to check out our Instagram post about this case, I included a small snippet of a home video where Derek caught his first big fish. He really loved fishing and the excitement that just poured out of him when he caught that first big fish. It was it's just (laughs) it's beyond precious. And it's also very sadly, it's very haunting, but it is absolutely precious to see just how bright and vibrant of a child he was. You know, he was just so full of life. Had so much ahead of him. Yeah. Not going to get into that or I will cry. Like, I'm going to save that for a little later. <laughs> um, but going back to the story, Derek lived his life happily with his parents and his brother. He enjoyed his days at home with his family or being out fishing and, you know, of course, playing T-ball. Mm-hmm. And in the summer months, Derek looked forward to attending a daily recreational program that took place at the park close to his home. This park was the same park where Derek would play T-ball. And on August 2nd, 1993, Derek and Doreen were getting ready to head out to said program. And it's something that Derek did daily, and his mother usually was the one to take him to and from. Mm -hmm. But on this day of August 2nd, circumstances were a bit different. Doreen was really struggling to get out of the door in time. Derek's brother Dalton was being super fussy. Um, You know, he's practically a newborn at this point. He was not having a good time, so Doreen had her hands full. So this is when Derek told her that he could walk all by himself to the program. He told his mom that other kids would probably be walking there as well, and he could just tag along with them. And he just kept, you know, reassuring her, hey, I don't want to be late. Mom, I can do it by myself. So after some initial hesitation, Doreen agreed to let Derek walk. Derek told his mom that he loved her, and he hugged her and kissed her. Doreen gave him his packed lunch in a bag, Mm -hmm. and he went out the door. And this scenario is incredibly haunting because this would be the last time that Doreen would ever see Derek alive. It was on that day, August 2nd, 1993, that Derek was murdered by 13-year-old Eric Smith. He was killed exactly two months shy of his fifth birthday. Oh, my God. Um, And I'm going to insert this now because I just I really feel this is important before we continue because I know with what I just said, a lot of you are probably having mixed feelings about a few things. But when I was researching this case, I came across a disgusting amount of victim blaming and, you know, people bashing Doreen for allowing Derek to walk all by himself at only four years old. And I'm here to say that we're not going to do that. Um, It actually really kind of angered me a lot. I'll just be real with you. Doreen is in. No way to blame for what happened to Derek. She is a fantastic and loving mother. This park was only one block away from their house. And this park uh, sat at the end of their dead end street. So there was very, very little traffic, if any at all. And the route didn't require Derek to cross the street in any way. It was literally one block down straight from his house. Well, I mean, this was also back in the 90s as well. And back then it was much different. Like our parents let us, you know, walk to where we wanted to go. Right. I mean, that was just something that you did. And I was just about to bring that up too. like a Derek knew this route very well. Like, again, you literally just walked down the sidewalk for one block. It was that short of a walk. But also it was the 90s and uh, it's an extremely small community, like with only a couple hundred people. And I'm sorry, but I just I'm not going to bash Doreen for allowing him to walk that very short distance. I mean, this was the first time that she had ever let Derek walk anywhere alone. Right. Period. And I don't know. It just it blows my mind 
that people can look at this case and somehow be mad at Doreen and not Eric. Right. That's what kills me. So let me reiterate here to all of you that the one and only person to blame for what happened to Derek is Eric Smith. No one else. I will die on that hill. Like, we're not going to do that victim blaming shit. Like, I just no. So I wanted to address that before I went any further. If you disagree with me, then feel free to disagree with me. It's fine. So before we get into the specifics of what Eric did, let's first talk about Eric a little bit. Okay. So Eric Smith was born on January 22nd, 1980 in Steuben County, New York. And just like Derek, Eric would also grow up in the village of Savona. Eric lived with his mother, Tammy, his stepfather, Ted, and he had two siblings as well. Now, one of many things to know about Eric is that he had some developmental issues. That's something that became pretty clear when he was really young, and he also had some pretty intense uh, behavioral problems as well. Mm -hmm. When Eric was two years old, Tammy and Ted became concerned uh, because Eric hadn't started talking or walking or anything like that in any way. Um, I think it was around maybe three years old that Eric did start to walk and talk, maybe even a little after he turned three. I'm not really sure, but it was late from what I understood. Okay. But when Eric could walk and talk, you know, again, just three, maybe four years old, he started having pretty extreme temper tantrums. And yes, it is very normal for a child to act out and throw a fit, but Eric's case was a little different. His tantrums would be uh, pretty intense. Eric would scream and he would bang his head against the floor or walls repeatedly. And I read that when he did this, he was banging his head pretty hard, evidently. So a lot of people, myself included, wonder if maybe Eric had given himself some degree of a head injury or a concussion. It's not some sort of brain damage, some sort of something. It's I will say it's there's nothing in, you know, set in stone. There's nothing that's been definitively said. That this is what he did, but a lot of people do speculate that, especially in the contrast of what he goes on to do. Okay. You look at how young he is compared to the severity in which he was hitting his head against very hard surfaces. I mean, it's a valid question. Ultimately, we don't know for sure, but it's a valid question. And another thing, Eric was having these tantrums like at this severity daily. It was said that just about every day he would do the head banging thing. He would also hold his breath for long periods of time if he didn't get his way. And he would do this until he started turning purple. What? Yes. Like, just really, really extreme tantrums. God. And, you know, I've said it a hundred times, but he's just a couple of years old. And I also read about an instance where Eric even tried setting paper on fire in his kitchen on the stove when he was closer to maybe five. Oh, shit. Yeah. Luckily, his parents caught him and nothing serious happened from this. Like the fire didn't spread. It was, you know, put out accordingly. But still, he did that. And as Eric started speaking more, it became clear that he also had a pretty bad speech impediment. Eric would drool on himself when he would try to talk. And this made it difficult for him to talk. And the drooling didn't stop until he was around eight years old, I think. And by the time that Eric was nine years old, he had started developing an interest in, here we go, killing small animals. Oh, no. Yeah, he strangled a neighbor's cat to death on one occasion at just nine years old. Eric also loved killing wild snakes with his bare hands as well. He would just go find, I guess, different kind of snakes that could be in your yard. I'm not really sure, but he would pick up wild snakes and he would kill them in a number of awful ways 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Another thing that Eric started doing heavily at nine or ten was smoking cigarettes. Oh, shit. Yeah. Smoking cigarettes. And I don't mean just smoking a little bit. I read from multiple sources that at this age, he was like a pack a day smoker. Oh, my God. Which is like, that raises a lot of questions, you know, like, A, where is he getting cigarettes from? B, I mean, it's just, it's whatever. But that's not really what's important in this story. It's just for me to let you know that he was smoking like a fucking freight train. Eric also struggled with enuresis until he was about 11 years old. And we just talked about that with the McDonald's. Yes, I was just about to say, I don't know how many of you caught it already. And I did bring this up when I covered the Daniel Marsh case two weeks ago, but Eric Smith also completed the McDonald triad. And for those of you that don't know what that is and you haven't listened to the Daniel Marsh episode, I will briefly recap. The McDonald triad is a set of three factors. These factors are the torture and killing of animals, a strong fascination with fire and starting fires, and bedwetting, which medically is referred to as enuresis. It is said that if a child displays two of the three traits, that there's a high possibility that said child could have a psychopathic personality and will more than likely go on to commit acts of extreme violence, you know, later down the road. The purpose of this triad is to try and predict possible violent offenders or to detect certain signs early on so they can be helped and possibly treated, you know, thus preventing murder. It's just crazy to think about. Like, every time we talk about this, I'm either thinking about, you know, McDonald's or Minority or Minority Report, you know, that movie with Tom Cruise oh. like, <laughs> yeah. where they're like predicting killers and stuff. It's just, yeah, that's what it makes me think about. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, you know, Eric did complete the triad just like Daniel Marsh. He's displayed all three traits. So now that we've covered the pretty important stuff from his early, early adolescence, uh, the next thing that comes after is his school life. And this is very important to the story. Eric was severely bullied. And I mean severely. <sighs> severely. No. And I want to say, too, just, you know, before we continue, I just also feel the need to say this. I can't help it. But I just want to let you know that I am not defending Eric. Because there is absolutely no excuse for what he did. And it will never be justified. But here on this show, we look at a lot of different perspectives when it comes to the perpetrators in these crimes. I think it's important to try and understand why people do the things that they do. Even if their actions are beyond being justified, it's important to see the correlation between lived experience, trauma, and ultimately the crime that was committed. It all connects It all paints an image that you can look at a hundred different ways. Eric Smith was 100% a victim for the things that he went through at the hands of other children. Mm -hmm. There is no denying that. But when it comes down to the case of Eric Smith and Derek Roby, Derek is very clearly the victim in this. He was an innocent child who had never done anything to Eric. He was loved deeply by everyone. You know, he just, he didn't deserve anything that happened to him. He did not deserve to be taken out of the world as brutally as he was. Yeah. And it's very sad. All sides of this are sad. I just know we have a lot of new listeners. I just like, you know, I just want to explain these things, especially for people who don't know us that well and who aren't used to how we do things on the show. I also feel the need to state that because I encountered a lot of coverage on this case Mm -hmm. that flat out ignored Eric's life and the things that he went through and how it could have possibly played a part in all of this. Right. And I didn't want to do that. 
I'll stop on my tangent, but I'm not <laughs> I, I'm not defending him. I will never ever defend or make less of what he did. It's nothing short of absolutely senseless and evil. I mean, again, no defending. I just want us to understand a complete picture, and I think it's important. So please keep that in mind as we go forward. I'm not trying to paint a pity party for Eric Smith. <laughs> I promise. We will never paint a pity party for the murderers. No, never, <laughs> ever. So yeah, Eric, he did have a horribly rough time in school. He was held back in the first grade and the fifth grade, so he was behind. And with everything else that we've talked about so far with Eric, you can gather that he definitely stood out from the other children. Mm -hmm. He wasn't as far along developmentally as the other kids his age. And if you've never seen a picture of Eric Smith, you can go look at our photo dump, uh, Instagram or Facebook, whichever you like. But he has bright red hair covered in freckles. Eric's ears also sat a little lower on his head than normal. Mm -hmm. And he also had to wear these really big, thick glasses because he had very poor eyesight. So Eric definitely had this, you know, look to him that was different from the other kids. And due to his developmental problems, you know, how he looked, the fact that he couldn't really talk very well. I mean, kids like were easy target. Right. Kids point. were just so savage, so savage towards him. Eric had no friends. Not even one. Kids constantly yelled at him and called him stupid and slow, and they would make fun of his red hair and his glasses and how he walked and talked and, I mean, everything. Eric also got beat up several times at school by other kids. He would get his hair pulled. Uh, things would get thrown at him during classes. I mean, everything. And he had no support group at school. No one that he could talk to about any of this. I mean, he, as emo as it sounds, excuse me, he suffered alone. Yeah. And this is a small tangent, too. But with all of the development problems that he had, you'd think that Eric would receive some sort of special education where he could work with teachers who truly understood his problems and his needs. Right. But he didn't receive any of that. He was just kind of thrown to the wolves, essentially. And no one did anything about the situation, you know, with his bullying either. Like no teachers, no adults. No one seemed to do anything. The kids would even torment Eric on the school bus. And I read that nearly every day. Eric would get off of the bus just breaking down into tears because of what the other kids were doing and saying to him. This was his everyday life and his reality, and that is very sad. That's, like, fucking horrible. That's a horrible way to, Live you your know, everyday every existence day as a child. And having to deal with that every day. Like, that's, that's terrible. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't think any child deserves to be getting off of a school bus or going anywhere for that matter just breaking the fuck down crying because of how mean the other kids are being. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. No one deserves that. No child especially deserves that. I also read that Eric would try to make friends, but nothing ever worked. No one would accept him. And this went on for so long. I mean, just all of this, there's no telling the emotional damage that he sustained. Right. And in the years leading up to when Eric murdered Derek, he grew to be very, very depressed and very, very angry. He turned into a very angry child. And another note that makes this part of the story so important is that Eric would blame his bullying and what he went through at the hands of other children. That was his excuse for what he would later do to Derek. Like he blamed his bullying for making him explode, thus doing what he did. And we're going to get into it. But that's something to note with that. Okay. And Eric didn't really have a good home life either. I don't have a lot of information here. Um, I, I gathered everything that I could find. Um, but some things that I do know, right before Eric was born, his mother Tammy divorced Eric's biological father, a man named Randy. 
And soon after that divorce, Tammy met Ted and they got married. And Ted would legally adopt Eric and his siblings. Randy didn't want anything to do with Eric at all. So while Eric grew up, he believed wholeheartedly that Ted was his real father. But that wasn't true. And I think Eric was maybe 12 years old when his mother and Ted told him the truth. And the reason they told him the truth, it was because kids at school, one of the things they would say to Eric and tease him, they would say that, you know, your dad isn't even your dad Mm -hmm. and yada, yada, this and yada, yada, that just really making him upset. Right. So when his parents saw that that specific thing was said, they decided to sit down and tell him and it crushed Eric like it absolutely crushed him. Like, that's really shitty because, one, why would you even get into a relationship with someone who has a child if you don't want anything to do with the child, right? Right. No, it's very, very sad. Like, Randy just dipped out and was like, no. secondly, like, what a shitty way to find out. Right. It's it's, like, yeah. And again, it really, really devastated Eric because in him learning that Ted wasn't his real dad. He also learned that his real dad literally never wanted anything to do with him. He learned both of those things at the same time. And I also read that Ted, Eric's stepfather, wasn't exactly the nicest guy in the world either. Evidently, he was pretty angry a lot of the time, and he would be verbally abusive to all of the kids, including Eric. And he would sometimes also be physically abusive as well. One of Eric's older sisters, Stacy later came out and said that Ted was sexually abusing her in the home from the time she was 14 years old. And this is Eric's older sister. So again, I don't have a... Yeah, it's horrible. I don't have a lot of specifics here, but this is just the gist of it. I could imagine that Eric didn't have a happy corner of life anywhere, you know, not at school, not at home. And as time passed, Eric just kept spiraling more and more out of control with his anger and his depression. He was going into fits of rage all of the time. He even threatened to kill one of his teachers at school at one point. And in 1993, when the events of this case took place and Eric did what he did, he was again 13 years old. So everything we've talked about leading up to this point, he had experienced all of this and done all of this before 13. Right. Which is crazy. That I mean, that's that's a lot. So in the months leading up to when Eric killed Derek, He had expressed several times to his stepfather that he was unable to control his rage and that he just wanted to hurt someone and he needed help. This is something that Eric specifically would cry out and say, and his stepfather would be extremely dismissive, telling him that he just needed to kind of go, you know, get out his anger by punching something, just go hit something. And nothing was ever really done. Um, I read that Eric would go outside and punch trees as hard as he could, but that evidently didn't help him. I mean, it's very sad because he did cry out for help in a lot of ways many times, and his cries always fell on deaf ears. Very sad. I mean, it's wild. It's just... Oh, my God. Like, when we hear stories like this and you hear how people are toward, like, their children or someone else's children, it's just Or how children even treat children sometimes. It's like, what the fuck? Why? Why is it like this? Why is this a thing? No, trust me, I have the same questions. It's heartbreaking on every single side. And at this point in the story, you're seeing a very grim picture being painted. Yeah. For sure. So Eric was a complete outcast. And more times than not, you would just find him out in the neighborhood riding his bicycle all by himself. 
where we left off on the day of Monday, August 2nd, 1993. Mm-hmm. Four-year-old Derek Roby sat out on foot with his packed lunch to walk the one block distance to the nearby park. He was going to attend that recreational program that I mentioned earlier. Right. And it was around 9 a.m. when Derek left his house. Now, Eric Smith was also going to attend this program. And shortly before Eric encountered Derek, he had been scolded by a counselor at the park for riding his bike in an area that he wasn't supposed to be riding it. And he was asked to go. So Eric was very angry and he was fuming. And he left on his bicycle where he eventually spotted Derek Roby walking down the sidewalk. Derek was almost at the park when Eric spotted him. And even though we will never really know what snapped inside of Eric that day to make him do what we're about to talk about, I do know for certain that the minute Eric saw Derek, he decided that he was going to unleash all of his rage and he was going to kill him. God. So Eric approached Derek on his bike and he asked Derek if he wanted to take a shortcut with him through the woods to get to the park so they could basically go to the program together. Right. And Derek told him that he wasn't supposed to walk off of the sidewalk. He was like, I'm not supposed to. I have to walk to the park. He's four. Smart kid. I I just, yeah, he was very smart. He, Doreen and Dill had definitely coached him that he should not talk to strangers you know, stranger danger type thing. You shouldn't be doing that. Right. So Derek was sticking to that at first. And no one really knows exactly what Eric said to Derek to convince him to go into the woods. But Eric convinced him. So Eric got off of his bicycle and the two walked down into this tiny wooded area that was kind of off the path. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Eric walked Derek far enough off of the path into the brush where others couldn't see, Eric launched the brutal assault. He began by knocking Derek almost to the ground, placing his hands on his neck and strangling him. Oh, my God. Derek started crying and screaming immediately, but Eric silenced him by not only choking him, but also Eric opened Derek's lunch and grabbed the napkins, and he shoved those napkins in Derek's mouth. Eric also tried shoving a plastic bag from Derek's lunch inside of his mouth as well, but this was unsuccessful because Derek kept biting Eric's fingers. Derek was fighting back as hard as he could. And again, he's for Eric's 13. Yeah. I just, my God, I just, I'm having disassociating. I am disassociating to get through this. (laughs) But I just had like the biggest chill go down my spine. I was like, I can't say anything like I'm just sitting here. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. Um, And unfortunately, we have to continue. I wish we didn't have to. But Eric reached over and grabbed a rock. And with all of his strength, he smashed the rock onto Derek's head. Over the next few minutes, Eric used a variety of different sized rocks to beat Derek to death. Once Derek stopped moving, Eric got up to find a big rock to use, and he found a rock that was estimated to weigh about 20 to 25 pounds. Eric even had a hard time lifting this rock off of the ground himself, but he carried it to Derek's body, and Eric lifted and then dropped this rock onto Derek's head in midsection three times. A four-year-old having a 25-pound rock dropped on him. I have no words. Um, and very sadly, it didn't take Derek very long to die after this happened. But even after he had died, Eric was still not done. He was still just in his whatever mode we want to call it, blind rage. I mean, I don't know. But Eric went through Derek's lunch bag and he grabbed a bottle of Kool-Aid. And then he proceeded to pour the Kool-Aid 
all over Derek's face and into the open wounds that were all over his head from the rocks. Oh my God. Eric completely destroyed the rest of Derek's lunch, specifically grabbing a banana out of the lunch bag and he smashed it into the ground next to Derek's body. And lastly, Eric pulled Derek's pants down and he sodomized Derek's corpse with sticks. Oh my God. Yeah. Eric then dragged Derek's body a little deeper into the woods and he even posed Derek's body. Eric took off Derek's shoes and he placed his right shoe next to his left hand and his left shoe next to his right hand. And Eric also left a stick inserted approximately five to six inches inside Derek's anus. The stick would still be there when Derek was found. And when he was done with all of this, Eric wiped the blood off of his hands onto his pants and he walked out of the woods, grabbed his bike, and rode back down to the park. But only five minutes later, Eric returned to Derek's body to make sure that he was actually dead. Because Eric didn't want Derek telling on him. And Eric visited Derek's body numerous times in the initial hour after he had killed him. My, my, my fucking... Asshole? My, it's gone. Yes, I agree. Like, I really struggled with this one. Like, I, I really did. It's gone. He's 13. My asshole left, got on the train in Tokyo, and said, I am fucking out of here. And then they speed bulleted down the track. My asshole is nowhere to be found. I am. Uh, we so are we not are pure okay. anxiety laughing right now, you guys, I, I promise. Am, but I'm not okay. Not okay. Now around 10 30, 11 a.m. on that same day. It started pouring down raining. It was storming. So all of the kids at the park were sent home. And when Doreen made it to the park to pick up Derek, she was told that he had never shown up that day at all. So Doreen started freaking out and she called the police immediately to report Derek is missing. And I'm going to backtrack ever so slightly just because I wanted to insert this. I felt like it was very important. Um, mm-hmm. And it also, I don't know how to explain, like it chilled me and it broke my heart, but it, it moved me in a way. I don't know how to explain it. But to backtrack a little bit to when Derek left the house, Doreen said way later in an interview that not long after Derek had walked out the door to head to the park, that she all of a sudden just felt this horrible rush of dread and panic she said it hit her out of nowhere she was just consumed with like the strongest wave of sadness and heaviness that she had ever felt yeah and then the storm started not long after those feelings came on it started raining and storming it took her a few minutes but she eventually calmed herself down and she tried to you know push those feelings to the back of her mind but now after the events of everything that happened Doreen has stated that when she looks back on that day, on that feeling, and how it started just pouring down rain afterwards, Doreen has stated that she truly believes that that was the moment that Derek died, and he was coming to her to let her know that he had died. Wow. And that, like, goose legs. Fucking, like, A, I want to fucking cry. B, goose legs. Goose legs. Goose, goosey legs. My legs are nothing short of belonging to a goddamn goose. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I can't. So, going back to the current events, after Doreen reported Derek as missing, an entire community search happened. And as I said way earlier in the episode, 
a hundred times. I can't help but just keep going to keep emphasizing it. Derek was truly loved and cherished by everyone. I mean, his his love went way beyond his family. Mm -hmm. When the news broke that Derek had disappeared, everyone came together to look for him. I mean, there were police officers, dozens upon dozens of volunteers. Everyone was searching the immediate area near the park. People were calling out for Derek. I mean, searching high and low. Everyone was looking desperately for him. Right. Eric and his family were also a part of the search party. So, very sadly, around 3.45 p.m. on that same day, August 2nd, a woman was heard screaming from a wooded area that sat right next to the park. This woman was one of the volunteers, and she had found the brutally beaten and mangled body of Derek Roby. This went from a missing child case to a full-blown murder investigation within hours of it happening. And Derek's injuries were horrific, to say the very least, as you can probably imagine. The autopsy revealed that Derek had suffered numerous skull fractures all over his entire head. Wow. Derek's upper body was almost crushed due to the large rock being dropped on him three times. And Derek's intestinal wall was also perforated. So... To say the very least, everyone was horrified and scared, just completely shitless. Nothing like this had ever happened in Savona. This was a safe community where everyone knew one another. Everyone's kids played together. I mean, this murder just tore this community to pieces. Right. And in the days following, parents were buying whistles for their children and padlocks to put on their doors. Like, no one was letting their kids out of their sight, not even for a second. Right. The security and safety that this town once knew was gone. And when police started investigating this case, the last thing that they ever suspected or anyone ever suspected was that another child had done this. So there were no leads of any kind for the first few days after Derek was found. Police were looking for an adult, maybe someone who was an outsider that didn't exactly live in Savona, but maybe was strolling through just long enough to do something like this and then get the fuck out of Dodge. Right. And I'm sure they probably thought it was like a sexual predator. That was a possibility, too, given what happened to Derek. Right. But, you know, they were they were looking for anything and anyone other than a 13 year old kid. Right. That I can say on Eric's side of things. His family had taken notice that he was acting very strange after Derek was found. His mother, Tammy, along with Eric's grandfather, a man named Red Wilson, never suspected that Eric had actually been the one to kill Derek, but they were thinking that maybe he had seen something or he knew more than he was letting on, like maybe he had just witnessed something. Right. This quote is from Red Wilson. He said, quote, in no way did we feel he had done it. So we felt that he knew something. Maybe somebody had threatened him and that's why he wouldn't tell, end quote. So a weird turn of events happened four days after the murder when Eric walked into the police command center asking if he could be of any help to solve the case. The detective that Eric initially spoke to was John Hibsch, and he described that in this initial interview, Eric first denied that he had seen Derek on August 2nd, but he quickly changed his story. Eric then told John that he had seen Derek on the day he was killed across from an open field next to the park. Mm -hmm. And John said in his own words that hearing Eric say that almost knocked him out of his chair because Derek was obviously found in the open field, like right there in the field, the same field that Eric was talking about. Right. So Eric was placing himself right at the crime scene almost. So John then asked Eric 
if he could recall what Derek was wearing, and he could, in great detail. Eric even made the comment that Derek's lunch bag was, quote, pretty cool, end quote. What the fuck? But even at this point, John isn't necessarily thinking that Eric was the killer. Like, that still wasn't really in his wave of thought. He's still more so thinking that Eric must have seen something happen to Derek. Right. He's thinking that either he knows more than he's letting on, or maybe he even saw what actually happened. So when John pushes Eric further to talk more in detail about the last interaction he had with Derek, John said that this is when Eric got a little emotional. His voice started to crack slightly, almost as if he was tearing up. And John also said that Eric kind of balled his fist up and put him on either side of his head, shaking. And he said, quote, you think I killed him, don't you? End quote. <laughs> Whoa. So John basically was just kind of like, oh, what, what the fuck? All, all right. No, I wasn't really thinking that, but now I'm starting to wonder, kid. Right. Uh, that um, was weird. Um, all right, Eric. Uh, <laughs> all right, Eric. <laughs> John took a break from the interview. Eric's stepdad came in to sit with him, and he bought Eric a bottle of Kool-Aid. And John said that when Eric got this Kool-Aid in his hand, that he literally just threw it to the ground, like angrily. Like he just like looked at it and then just threw it, like right there, throwed it on the ground. And John and some of the other detectives were thinking further that Eric had definitely seen what happened to Derek, like because they knew that Derek had Kool-Aid poured all over his face and inside of his wounds. They were thinking that Eric saw this Kool-Aid and maybe it triggered the trauma from maybe seeing what happened. Oh, my God. They're still not thinking at all that Eric was responsible. No one is thinking that. The twists. It is fucking insane. It's My chilling. My stomach is... In knots? It's in knots. I'm uncomfortable. So the very next day, investigators had Eric on his bike out on the street, you know, leading to the park, and they asked him to reenact where he was exactly when he saw Derek. They were like, you know, reenact for us. Show us where you rode your bike. Show us where you saw Derek. And there is video on YouTube. I mean, you can probably find it in other places other than YouTube, but there is video footage of this bike reenactment. Mm -hmm. If any of you like want to go seek that out, it is pretty, I mean, it's pretty chilling in context, I will say, but this was recorded. Eric was extremely calm. He was wearing a green hat, black t-shirt, and khaki pants, and he was just riding his bike around with these detectives watching him and asking him questions. So Eric rode around, he showed detectives the spot that he claimed he saw Derek last, and then this is where the detectives kind of start turning their eye and they start to get uneasy. Okay. Uh, Just a little weird. The vibes got weird. Because detectives were finding it hard to believe that Eric could have seen Derek well enough to recall all of the detail that he could recall from the distance that he claimed he saw him. Right. It just did not add up. And you have to keep in mind, too, even though Eric did wear glasses, he had very bad eyesight. I was just about to ask you about that. (laughs) Like, wait a minute. Right. So this made the situation even more questionable. They're like, you can recall every detail about what he was wearing down to his tiny lunch bag from way over there. That doesn't really add up. You know what I'm saying? sounds like bullshit. Sounds like bullshit. (laughs) Oh, was that a Squidward? It was a Squidward. It was a Squidward. Hey, he's coming back slowly but surely. Sometimes 
I don't like, especially with the kind of stories that we've been covering recently. I don't feel like I need to insert a Squidward. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've been covering those kinds of cases recently. But I mean, I'm trying. Squidward is coming back. He misses all of you. That was for all of the people that have messaged me telling me they demand Squidward. Squidward (laughs) retribution. So (laughs) I just wanted to like insert SpongeBob music here. (laughs) So shortly after this reenactment. Eric's mother, stepfather, and grandfather sat him down with the detectives, and they were begging him to tell them what he knew, because again, everyone is still very much thinking that Eric had not killed Derek himself, but rather had just seen what happened. Eric was just very clammed up, and he was very tense, but his family's just like, come on, like, please tell us what you know. We, we You have to know something. What's right. going on? Whew. And... After Eric kind of like tensed up and just went stonewall for a little bit, he then broke down and he just put his hands up to his face and he started crying and he said, quote, I'm sorry, mom. I'm so sorry, but I killed that little boy, end quote. So Eric then cried and cried. And when asked why he had done what he did to Derek, Eric first said that he didn't know. He just kept saying, I don't know. And he was crying. But then he eventually said, that when he was doing what he did to Derek, that he didn't see Derek, but rather he saw the kids that were tormenting him at school. Eric wanted to hurt someone else rather than being the one being hurt. Wow. And on that same day, Eric Smith was arrested and taken into custody. And when the news broke, Savona was completely fucking shocked. Like, no one could have imagined that this killing, as brutal and as horrible as it was, could have been carried out by another child. I mean, I I can sympathize with them because I'm completely fucking shocked. <laughs> like, I mean, fuck. I mean, it wasn't even in the scope of what anyone was considering as a possibility, like not even in the scope. And this story very quickly took national media and newspaper headlines everywhere because of the details of how young not only the victim was, but how young the killer was. Right. So Eric also had his face plastered everywhere. And that added to the shock of everything. You're seeing these pictures of this 13-year-old boy in handcuffs. He has bright red hair, freckles everywhere, large glasses. I mean, the image of Eric did not in any way match the complete savagery of the crime that he committed. Right. There really are no words to really express the shockwave that spread out from Savona because of this. Like, there really aren't. And five days after the murder, on August 7th, 1993, Derek Joseph Roby had his funeral service. Almost the entire community attended. He was buried in a small white casket with several flowers, and he was also buried in his t-ball uniform. Because that was his favorite sport. And that's what he loved doing almost above all else. I'm going to cry. Derek was officially laid to rest in the Seaman Cemetery located in Savona. This community absolutely just grieved. Grieved, grieved, grieved. I cannot even just, I can't, I can't. Moving on, moving on before I fucking cry. Right. Eric was officially indicted on September 2nd, 1993. And he was charged with second degree murder. And on September 10th, 1993, Eric entered a plea of not guilty. It would be one year later in August of 1994 that Savona would see the trial that shocked the entire nation. A then 14-year-old Eric Smith being tried for the torture, bludgeoning, and sexual assault of a four-year-old child. Eric was being tried as an adult for the charge of second-degree murder. Now, I don't know if the laws are the same today in New York, but at the time of Eric's trial... 
murder was the one charge in New York in which a minor could automatically be tried and sentenced as an adult. Okay. So that's what happened here. So during the beginning phases of the trial, the prosecution presented Eric as a deeply disturbed, angry child who suffered from great psychological disturbances. The prosecution brought up Eric's childhood, and they talked about how Eric was having outbursts of anger so severe that he'd smash his head into walls and floors. Mm -hmm. During this portion of the trial, Eric was painted as completely evil and unstable. The prosecutor even showed the jury the 20-pound rock that Eric used to bludgeon Derek to death with. Eric's stepfather was called to the stand, and he testified that Eric oftentimes would come to him crying, shaking his fist, saying that he needed help because he couldn't control his anger and that he did think of hurting other people. The prosecution further argued that Eric knew exactly what he was doing when he killed Derek and that this wasn't a case of a youth misjudging or mishandling a situation, but rather someone committing an act of absolute evil in a calculated manner. Yeah. When the defense began to take their side of things, defense psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Herman testified that Eric wasn't evil, but rather he was suffering from intermittent explosive disorder. And this disorder is defined as repeated sudden episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent behavior or angry, verbal or physical outburst in which the reaction is grossly out of proportion to the situation. Okay. Dr. Herman described this in context to Eric as, quote, literally deadly rage and anger. And then he further stated, quote, after the episodic rage, the child may appear to be normal. Something happened in his brain and we cannot measure it, end quote. But another psychiatrist that was working for the prosecution refuted Dr. Herman's diagnoses, saying that intermittent explosive disorder was extremely rare and almost unheard of in the age group that Eric was in. Okay. That argument was almost completely just like thrown out completely. The defense brought up Eric's developmental issues, the fact that he had been held back in two grades, his speech impediment, and the fact that Eric suffered horrific and cruel bullying continuously at the hands of his classmates. Right. It was even brought up that Eric's mother, Tammy, was on a anti-seizure medication called Tridione. Tridione? I don't really know if I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's a anti-seizure medication for epilepsy. Tammy had epilepsy and she took this medication when she was pregnant with Eric. Well, it turns out that Tridione, I'm probably butchering that if I am, I'm so sorry. Um, it's been known to cause severe birth defects. There's even a syndrome specifically named after it. More than two thirds of pregnancies in women taking Tridione have resulted in this syndrome which includes mental deficiency, delayed speech, impaired growth, mid-facial hypoplasia, broad and low nasal bridge, low-set malformed ears, and even congenital heart disease. Wow. Which is funny if you think about it. I mean, it's really not funny, but it's funny if you think about it because Eric displays some of those effects, you know, like the the low-hanging ears right. and the impaired speech and, the you know, the stunted growth, basically. I was so, like mentally going down and checking. Right. That's what I'm saying. He actually does display some of those things. And it was speculated that maybe this medication could have caused Eric to be more prone to violence, you know, due to the developmental stunting. That was something that was brought up. But this argument was also refuted. The court stayed with the narrative that Eric was just a cold blooded monster. And they just pretty much decided that they were not going to see it any other way. And I don't know, I'm not necessarily saying that they should have looked at it any other way. I will never defend Eric, but I'm just trying to give you 
all sides of what was brought up, how people have tried to explain it, how people in Eric's trial tried to explain this. Right. Every single thing that got brought up other than him being a calculated, sadistic, cruel, evil monster was thrown out the window. Everything. Wow. And due to the sexual aspect of Eric's crime, the question of whether or not Eric was sexually abused in his own life came up time and time again. I mean, how else do you explain why Eric sodomized Derek with fucking sticks? Right. I mean, that's insane. But Eric's parents denied that any of that had ever happened. Although, like I brought up earlier, one of Eric's older sisters, Stacy Smith, she testified that she was molested by Ted repeatedly over a span of many years. Right. And, and if it's happening to one child, like, why wouldn't it happen to another? Right. Exactly. And Stacy herself even said that she wondered if Eric had encountered the same abuse at the hands of their stepfather. Eric never claimed that he was abused sexually and Ted adamantly denied ever abusing anyone in his home, period. So that was also a dead end argument. It was on August 16th, 1994, after hours of deliberation that the jury reached its verdict. And on November 7th, 1994, 14-year-old Eric Smith was found to be guilty of the charge for second-degree murder in the death of four-year-old Derek Roby. And he was given the maximum sentence by law, which was nine years to life in prison. The jury completely rejected any argument that Eric was suffering from any skewed perception during the time of the killing. After the sentencing, Eric was placed into handcuffs and he was walked out of the courtroom. Derek's and Eric's families were both in tears. Absolutely, everyone was devastated for different reasons. Right. So Eric began serving his sentence at the Woodburn Correctional Facility located in Sullivan County, New York. And he went up for his first parole hearing on June 11th, 2002. Eric was then 22 years old and his parole was denied. The court deemed that Eric showed little to no remorse for killing Derek. But this parole hearing also started the process of Eric going up for parole every two years. Mm-hmm. And this was extremely traumatic for Derek's family because every two years from that point on, they would have to relive the events of what took place on August 2nd, 1993. So two years after that first parole hearing on June 8th, 2004, 24-year-old Eric Smith went up for parole again. And this time he read an apology statement where he stated he was truly sorry for the loss that he had caused the Roby family. And he went on to discuss how when he was younger, he was in a darker place and he didn't know how to handle the rage that he felt and that him being bullied and treated the way he did made him snap. Right. That was just what he said. His parole was denied. And during each of these parole hearings, since they were closed hearings, Doreen and Dale Roby wrote letters to the court along with sending home videos of Derek to remind the courts of what they have forever lost as a result of Eric's actions. Doreen Roby is quoted saying, quote, it upsets me, the fact that we have to beg to keep this killer behind bars, end quote. And over the next eight parole hearings, Eric was denied each time. It would be on his 11th parole hearing on October 7th, 2021, that Eric Smith, then 42 years old, was granted parole. He had served 28 years in prison at this point, and the decision to grant parole definitely caused a lot of animosity uh, in the community, as right. you can imagine. No one wanted to see Eric in society again, especially not Derek's family. Right. So following the decision to release Eric from prison, the community of Savona held a candlelight vigil and march in honor of Derek Roby. This took place on November 17th, 2021. And during this vigil, the community lit candles and peacefully protested Eric's release. 
the community was making sure that Derek Roby, as well as the absolutely horrible way he was taken from this world, was remembered. Eric's release was postponed for several months while approved housing was found for him uh, out in Queens. Okay. But it was on February 1st, 2022, that Eric was officially released from prison, and he was 43 years old at the time of the release. And after he left prison, he moved to Queens, New York, and now he's engaged and I guess living an okay life. Eric expressed at his last parole hearing that he was interested in receiving a college education and that he wanted to work in the carpentry business. Eric is also to remain on parole, however, for the rest of his life. And when it comes to the matter of how Derek's parents feel about Eric now being a free man, Doreen has said that she's made peace with it. She says that she no longer allows Eric to occupy space in her mind, and she views his release as one door closing and another opening. She expressed that she feels, in a way, a sense of relief knowing that she doesn't have to live through any more parole hearings. Thus, she isn't forced to relive her son's murder every two years. She has stated that she feels like true healing can now begin, and to this day, Doreen and Dill do everything they can to keep the memory of Derek alive. Every single year on the anniversary of Derek's death, Doreen says that she and Dale make it a point to go and eat vanilla ice cream in honor of Derek because vanilla ice cream was a treat that he loved very much. And on May 14th, 2022, the Derek Joseph Roby Memorial Field was erected and opened to the public. Thanks to the support of the community, everyone came together to renovate the ball field that Derek played on. And standing on a hill that overlooks this ball field is a statue of Savona's unofficial mayor, Derek Roby, in his t-ball uniform. This statue was sculpted by Derek's uncle, and it serves as a reminder of the innocent and sweet soul that was stolen from the world too soon. And it's also a symbol of all of the love that the community had for Derek and how much they truly miss him every day. I've included a picture of Derek's statue in our photo dump if you would like to see it. I genuinely almost fucking cried when I saw it. It's actually a beautiful statue. They turned this ballpark into a monument for him, basically, and Derek's mother has said that one of her favorite things is in the world is that Derek is the only boy that has a statue out there. That's so awesome. And on Derek's statue at the bottom, there is a plaque. And this plaque has Derek's name on the bottom of it, along with a quote. It reads, dedicated to be a gentle reminder of what childhood is meant to be. And uh, yeah, you guys, that's my episode for this week. This is the horribly gut-wrenching story of Eric Smith. I hate it. I hate it. I'm glad we're done. I almost started crying, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... Oh, no. It is very, very sad and very heartbreaking. This is a pretty, like, controversial case. People are really, really divided because, Mm -hmm. obviously, as we covered, Eric Smith is out and free now. Yeah. He's living his life. I mean, he's engaged and evidently he's in a happy relationship. Um, Eric has stated in many interviews that he feels that he has changed and he he's no longer that child that he was when he did what he did. Right. I I'm on both sides of the fence with it. Like I I I would love to hear some of like our listener comments like, you know, tell us how you feel about this cuz I do believe in re- rehabilitation. Almost couldn't talk. But at the, at the same time, I don't know. Like, what breaks my heart is, like, Eric gets out. He's still relatively close to this really small community. 
And like the only thing that I can think about is Doreen or Dale or anybody that was Derek's family that right. loved him just walking out in their, you know, daily life. And then they just see Eric. Yeah. They just literally see the man that brutally killed their child. I just, I don't really know how I feel about it. I see both perspectives. Like, I don't know. It's really difficult for me to say how I feel. It's really, really hard for me to say how I feel at the end of this. Um, Yeah. And I mean, even though now we understand, you know, mental illness and we understand how trauma works on the brain now, it still doesn't erase the fact that this was a child that was murdered. Right. You know what I mean? And a, a completely innocent did nothing to warrant this. Like absolutely nothing. And right. I'm I'm on that wavelength too. Cause I mean I I can't help but also see that perspective of Eric Smith was a victim as well. Not in the situation with Derek, but in life. He right. very much was a victim and I I do believe that he did reach out for help numerous times. And I believe that no one, no adult especially, was there for him the way that they fucking needed to be. Um, I'm not excusing what he did. Right. I will say that a hundred fucking times before we end this episode. I'm not defending what he did. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just, I don't know. I see all of the perspectives. This is just really, really an intense one. And it's a tough one. Yeah, but it really it, it really took the words out of my mouth. Like, I really didn't have anything to say moving forward because it's like, okay, I didn't expect that. Okay, I didn't expect that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it like just this... kept kind of piling on. And, um, yeah, it was difficult. Our episodes always start out, like, kind of awkward and cute and funny. And we're like, yeah, we're, like, doing our little podcast thing. And then at some point through that episode, whether it be sooner than later, at one point it just turns into assholes and elbows. <laughs> That's all it is just, every single week. Just booty cheeks flapping in the wind because your asshole to ran at mock Jesus out from, you and, know, and just... Then, and then the crying and the anxiety that comes with it, it's absolutely horrible. So for me to stop running my mouth, I will just say that my final thoughts on this case, my heart completely goes to Derek Roby and his parents and his family and his community. He was very loved. And when you learn about Derek and you see videos of him and you hear how his parents talk about him, it's very clear that they just he was their world, the yeah. light of the fucking world. That's very clear to see, and it's also very clear to see when you hear Doreen and Dill speak today, in current time, they are still very much grieving him. My heart goes to the family of Derek, and my condolences go to the family of Derek, and ultimately, I just wish them all of the good things. That's about the only, that's about the only confident thought that I can really have at the end of this, because there's just, there's so many layers. It's like, what do you do with it, you know? Yeah, because... I mean, even though she's at peace with it and everything, like when you, I I can very fully imagine that when you lose a child like that, you're never going to get over it. No, of course not. You know, I, so, of course not. So all of the, the peace and mental healing and, and love and. I sound awkward as fuck. I'm sorry. You said, oh, my spirit's broken. My I'm spirit so, is broken. You said, I'm so ready. Just we're going to listen to some of our some of our favorite horror music. Horror music. Horror music. Is it time to listen to like Hungry Hungry Caterpillar audiobook? Because <laughs> I'm here to say that that actually something that soothes me. <gasps> truly soothes me. <laughs>
I'm not ashamed to admit it on this podcast. I am six foot three covered in tattoos and I love Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. I will die on that hill. I will die on that hill. I have very fond childhood memories with Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> but yeah, you guys, thanks for listening this week. We hope you... I, I don't really want to say we hope you enjoyed it. Let's be real. No one fucking enjoyed no, this. This was awful. Was but awful. thanks for listening regardless. If you would like to follow Ray and I and all of our... Well, great news. You can totally do that. You can find us on Facebook at... Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. God damn. I, I don't was know not expecting that. I wasn't expecting it either. Oh, God, keep going, keep going. <laughs> or you can become one of our patrons at... www.patreon.com slash Gore Report Podcast. <laughs> Or guys, even if you just want to drop us a line, request a case, whatever, you can email us at goreportpod at gmail.com. It just doesn't change, does it? It just it just stays the same, don't it, baby? It just <laughs> I don't even know, Lord. Okay, I'm ready to be off of here. Let's go listen to like sad lo-fi or something. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.